This is the Dr. Duke Show. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Dr. Duke Show. I am Dr. Duke, and I am joined today by Dr. Jake Jacobs, who's still dawdling his time away down on the southern border, basking in all that sun. How you doing, Jake? Real good, Duke. Thanks for having me on again. Good. Now, well, you're, you are now relocated north to Phoenix. How's life in Phoenix? Love it. The sun is shining, and we're, in, we're visiting old uh, Arizona State amigos. We're having a good time. All right. Well, you're all work, also working down there and not just doing this show, but you've, you, you are uh, planting the seeds. I want to make sure everybody you throw this out there. Uh, you have yeah. compiled all kinds of video from the border, cartel stuff, uh, law enforcement stuff. And so you're going to be working on a documentary, a four-part documentary about the crisis on the border. When do you think that uh, people will be able to see that? Well, you know how it goes. Editing is much, much longer than just filming. We have hours and hours of film with Arizona lieutenant within the sheriff's department, Arizona ranchers, Arizona citizens at the border, at the Biden gap, the Biden hole. And we're putting a four-part series together called American Crisis at the Border. It'll be available at jakejacobshow.com probably sometime, hopefully in June. All right, and shifting gears a little bit, uh, this was an election week in many states, including where you, uh, you currently live, and I do too, Wisconsin, where the left pretty much took over. You had a, oh, uh, just a blowout in the, the Supreme Court election. We now have one of the most radical lefty Supreme Court members, and this is a woman who campaigned by promising to, to tell the people, this is how I will vote when court cases become, come before me. I'm not even going to pretend to be uh, a, a judge who's going to have some discernment, going to wait to see what the case, judge the case on its merit. She's literally a progressive candidate who promised her followers that whatever they want, she will give them. She will use the court to pr promote her politics and the politics of the left. And she won in a landslide here. And so uh, we and one of the reasons why I think uh, conservatives and genuine patriots are so down, have a right to be completely uh, depressed at this point is even when you get Republican control, even when you have Republican governors, they're constantly vetoing not left wing ideology, but conservative attempts to fix the problem. And now we go to one of those states that most Americans would say one of those got to be one of the most conservative states in the union, right? North Dakota. Don't think so. North Dakota governor vetoes a bill restricting transgender students' pronouns. So he refused to do this to protect what the definition of man and woman, to protect uh, the, the gerrymandering of language by the progressive left for their own selfish ambitions. And there's your so-called Republican. North Dakota governor Doug Burgum supposed report Republican on Thursday vetoed a bill that would pro prohibited public school teachers and staff from referring to students and other staff by pronouns that do not match their sex assigned at birth. In a letter expanding on his decision, the North Dakota Senate president uh, uh, to the North Dakota Senate president, Burgum argued that the bill's ambiguity would invite lawsuits. Oh, I see now, Mr. Governor, because the left's going to sue you. Eh, better not change anything. Is, is this where we've come to? Because it's not just North Dakota. It's not just West, uh, Wisconsin. It's all over the country. You, you may have a preponderance of Republican governors, but that doesn't mean you have anything like a preponderance of Republican control of anything. You know, Duke, they talk about how wokeism is destroying the country, leftism is destroying the country, but really, rhinoism 
is in, in complicity, in collusion with these people because they don't have the cojones, they don't have the strength of character to stand up for what is right. You know, this governor from North, and North Dakota is a wonderful state, a great conservative state. You know, they're on the, the fine cutting edge of preserving our republic in the United States. And yet their governor said, well, you know, teachers have a, a hard time enough and they don't need to be pronoun police. Rubbish. The fact of the matter is he didn't have the strength of character to stand for what is right in the state of North Dakota. What is absolutely nauseating is what you just said. And I'm going to read the direct quote. Quote, this is from the governor of North Dakota to the Senate president who was trying to get this passed. Quote, the teaching profession is challenging enough without the heavy hand of state government forcing teachers to take on the role of pronoun police. Excuse me, governor. The public school union teachers already took on the role of, of pronoun police. They're the ones bullying little kids to use they and them and zim and zer. It's, the, it's the, the teachers union teachers who are using and policing and enforcing language quotas in the public schools. And you, the governor of the state of North Dakota, elected in part to stand against, to stand athwart this left-wing garbage. You don't want to get involved because state government should not fix the crazy things that are going on in state schools. How in the world can you make sense of that response? <laughs> you always got me, Duke, because you can't make sense of that response. These leftists are dictating and demanding that we live by their lies, speak their language, speak their words, live in their non-reality, and if you don't do it, then the administrators will punish you. The unions will punish you. So you've got it exactly right, and this governor didn't have the strength to stand up to that tyranny. Well, you know, as with Common Core, right, uh, Common Core was forced into the schools by federal government interventionism and bribery, the race to the top program. And then when people wanted to get rid of Common Core, the states like Wisconsin and North Dakota, other so-called Florida, Indiana, all these conservative states said, well, we can't, they forced it in here, right? It wasn't local, local schools deciding this. The, the feds and the, the state DPI forced Common Core into the public schools. But we, the state of Florida, the state of North Dakota, the state of Wisconsin, we can't, we can't remove Common Core because that would violate local control. So when the left does something against local control, that's fine. But removing, using the power of the state to get rid of what the left has forced in, that's not acceptable. Take a listen to this quote here. The governor also took issue with the second section in the bill, which would have barred public school teachers from using a transgender student's preferred pronouns without permission from a school administrator and parents. That seems reasonable. Your kid wants to be called Zer. If mom approves that, then maybe we'll let you do it. Otherwise, you can't. And here's the response from the governor. Section two infringes on local control by unnecessarily injecting the state into rare instances where most appropriately handled at the parent, at the parent teacher and school district level. Rare? It's rare in public schools to have po pronoun debates and bullying and uh, cancel culture and uh, the marshalling of the forces of the left against anybody who dares to suggest that male and female exist. It is unbelievable. This is like confronting, you're the local sheriff confronting the biggest bully 
on the block. And your response is, well, I can't do anything to stop the bullying because then I would be a bully. So therefore, I'm going to allow the real bully to bully because I don't want to be called a bully myself. It, it, it doesn't get any stupider than this. And, and you and I both know the last thing that the, the corrupt teachers unions want and these corrupt administrators want is for parents to actually have control over their children's lives. It's just the classic line by Vladimir Levin, give me the child for four years and that child will be mine forever. And this is exactly what's going on in America. I mean, to the point, Duke, where you and I know it permeates now uh, all the way to a Bud Light beer can. What's that all about? Bud Light beer and some dude by the name of Dylan, some he who's pretending to be a she who's now a multimillionaire. What's that all about, Duke? What's going well, on? Because you, I think you see what's happening here. This is now the branding, right? This is the corp, crony corporate, corporatism working with fascist governments to promote the ideology. So again, that, that's like, so you, this, this, these are the people that you're giving the platform to. So you have a, uh, a man, a, a, a male who is literally not just caricaturing women, not wearing uh, female face, right? Like the equivalent of blackface, but also is, is, is aping the role of a little girl. She's not even an adult. She's a, a nitwit, this, this drag queen. And so this now is the face of Bud Light, right? Uh, and for what other reason? And, and go back to, uh, we'll finish the We'll come back to Bud Light for a second, but I do want to share with you what the, the Civil Liberties, ACLU, and how other activists reacted on the left when the governor killed the bill about pronouns. You ready? Quote, victory, victory, Senate Bill 2231 legislation that would have prohibited schools from adopting inclusive policies that acknowledge the gender identity of their, uh, identity of their students has been vetoed by Governor Burgum. This is the progressive left who is going to do everything they can do to unelect this governor in a couple years yet cheering him on in the short term. These say, uh, the governor may think he's made himself some new left-wing friends, but I, for one, will stand by gleefully and watch as the same left he just bowed down to is going to come for his, his butt in just a couple of years. And you go back to what you said about the, the, the beer cans. This is really alarming. The, the, corporate, uh, the cor corporate left in this country has decided that you're not just going to have uh, this garbage jammed down your throat in public schools. You're going to have to swallow it with your pissy, untasty, completely pretend beer Bud Light. It, you, you know, Duke, what is sad about this whole thing, this Dylan, he's very clever. He's pretending to be a she, but he's making millions and millions of dollars on TikTok. He's got 10 million followers. Nike's just signed a contract yep. with him. He's selling beauty products all around the country. And Joe Biden says, if you and I dare expose the madness of this perverted sexual revolution of anything goes, that you and I are immoral. This Dylan, this guy met with President Biden and President Biden endorsed him, endorsed the whole bizarre movement. And you know, the funny thing is, is that he is making this money pretending to be a woman. Now, my response, five years ago in a sane world, this would have been men 
encroaching on and culturally appropriating women. This is a man who's become a woman or is pretending to be a woman to make millions of dollars convincing people that she is a woman. While where are the female Bud Light spokespeople? Are they not out there? Was there not an actual woman who was more authentically a woman who could have endorsed your swill called beer? Could that not have happened? Why do you need a man dressed like a woman to collect the paycheck that would have otherwise gone to a real woman. What is, how, again, how do you, I know you don't have an answer for this, it's rhetorical, how do we make sense of this logically? Of course, if logic was involved, none of this would have been happening in the first place. Why well, I love the Dr. Duke show, man. You cut right through the claptrap, the balderdash, and say it like it is. You speak reality into this bogus non-reality world of wokeism. Thanks, Duke. Well, we'll keep speaking it, and we're going to take a little break right now because we've got another story that's just going to defy logic as well. Not just lo logic, but good, decent family loyalty coming up. Still to come, former NFL star, star who wrote star in this, fire the prompter man. Colin Kaeper, Kaepernick is a lot of things, my friends, but he is not a star. So we're going to have to block that out. Still to come, former NFL quarterback Colin Kaepernick is now out to destroy his adoptive parents because they're white. Next. So Colin Kaepernick, I wouldn't call him star, I'd call him a scar, a scar on the landscape. Scar, Colin Kaepernick says, his adoptive white parents perpetuated very probl problematic racist elements when they you know, rescued him from his, uh, his abandoning African-American parents and spent a lot of money raising him for the next 25 years. So talk about this, Joe. This is a, a story you picked out in particular for this week. Well, Duke, Colin has Wisconsin roots. He was born in Milwaukee, lived in Fond du Lac for the first few years of his life. He actually adored Brett Favre. He loved the Green Bay Packers. Here, we got a picture here of him with his cousin. I think his, yeah, his cousin's name was Brett, by the way. And we happened, you know, that's not too far away from our studio where we're filming today. Uh, his aunt, Pat Kaepernick, lives in New London. And they said that, you know, Colin would come, uh, come to the family and hang around and talk Packer football. And there were no racial problems then. He came from a beautiful family, a, a father, Rick, a mother, Mother Teresa who adopted him in December of 19, uh, I think it was 87. And then they moved to California. And that's where the problem began because when he got older and drafted by the 49ers, he started taking classes by hardcore Marxist professors at UC. Can you guess the UC he went to? Uh, Berkeley. Berkeley. Yeah, there he is wearing shirts with Marxists with Fidel Castro. His heroes were Fidel Castro, Che Guevara, uh, Hugo Chavez, Maduro. I mean, his girlfriend was a hardcore, uh, she was Muslim, but she was hardcore leftist from Berkeley also. And she influenced his worldview. He went from good, solid Midwest Christian values into the world of leftism, Marxism, wokeism, thus the, cre the guy we have today. And again, the most galling aspect of this, the parents, because Obama did the same thing, throwing his white mother under the bus multiple times, because that's what you have to do when you're uh, fragile African-American celebrities. What you have to do is you have to throw the white people who helped you under the bus to get some street cred, because look at that family. That is not a family that, uh, that abandoned 
young Colin to the streets or didn't feed him or beat him or untreated him badly. No, no, no. That's a, a loving, nurturing family that gave him every advantage, made him part of the family. But again, because he has no real street cred, he's been a pampered athlete all his life. He needs to get some street cred. And you do that by throwing your white mom under the table. According to the story, the former 49er and original anthem, anthem pro protester appeared in an interview with Eve Ewing, who co-authored his new book, again, because probably because he can't write, Kaepernick's Childhood Autobiography. Okay, is this what the world's clamoring for, by the way, Jake? A biography, an autobiography written by somebody else, so it's not really an autobiography, about not his struggle, not his football career, but about his childhood years. Is there a public out there preening to read about his white upbringing amidst, amidst the sur sub suburbs? There it is. Colin Kaepernick, change the game. Oh, and notice, notice that even when he dressed like a white man, where with his shoes and his, his letter jacket and his short haircut, even then, Jake, his shadow Wore, proudly wore the afro. My goodness, this is such bravery, isn't it? You know, uh, it's interesting because that professor who wrote the book, they say co-authored, she's, she's from University of Chicago. She's hardcore leftist, cultural Marxist in her own right. She's a supporter of Defund the Police, Black Lives Matter Marxism. I mean, people need to understand that this young Colin Kaepernick, when he went to school at Berkeley, he studied part-time under one of the more radical professors on campus. He began to assimilate into his worldview Marxism, Marxist critical theory, Marxist critical race theory. And he began to, in essence, say that all white folk have perpetually you know, been oppressive and that when he was a kid, his parents, even though he loved them and he wanted to have, what was it, corn rolls? or whatever they called the hair they wanted to have it curled, that the mother overreacted, shame on him for wanting to have hair like that. And so he said they were perpetuating racism. He even actually repudiates his biological mother, Heidi, uh, Heidi Zabrowski, who's, uh, she's Czechoslovakian. She's from the Czech Republic, you know, because he had to do that. In essence, he's biracial, but he had to embrace his blackness because that's what you do in this identity politics of the day. Well, being a victim was much more important to him than being a quarterback, obviously. And after he had played himself and protested himself out of the league, after getting a big $40 million contract from the 49ers, he got an even bigger contract from Nike to be the sport, the face of apparently uh, black mistreat at the hand, mistreatment at the hands of white moms and dads. Uh, he goes on to say Kaepernick, quote, it is very difficult for people to have nuanced conversation around it to be like, yeah, the people that you love and that you love can also perpetrate very problematic elements. And those things can exist at the same time, he said. Yeah, but I, would you say that about the same black culture you're idolatrizing? Would you say the same thing, Colin Caper, Ka Kaepernick, Kaepernick, that there's nuance about praising Fidel Castro or Che Guevara? Because you don't see nuance there. You see liberators not murders. You see pe people of the people, not mass destroyers of life and freedom. You, there's no nuance when it comes to your non-white uh, fascist overlords. But when it comes to your mom, yeah, yeah, we can't just, we ignore the love and the support for, because she wouldn't let me get the haircut I wanted once.
Well, by the way, people don't really people need to recognize that Fidel Castro, Che Guevara was a racist. He hated black people. There were more black Cubans incarcerated in the prisons of communist Cuba, uh, uh, record numbers under Che Guevara and Fidel Castro. Blacks were despised by the Marxists down in Cuba. But of course, he very selectively ignores that that reality, that history. I think we have a clip of, of yes, Colin we do. Kaepernick on CBS News, don't we? Here we go. It's his true high school coming of age story, his journey embracing his blackness, despite resistance from many, including his white adoptive parents. I know my parents love me, but there were still very problematic things that I went through. I think it was important to show that, no, this can happen in your own home and how we move forward collectively while addressing the racism that is being perpetuated. He took cues from his icon, basketball star Allen Iverson, who he said wore his blackness like a suit of armor. And teenage Kaepernick wanted cornrows to match. He's getting what roles, his mom asked? Oh, your hair's not professional. Oh, you look like a little thug. Your mom become. said that to you. Yeah. And those become spaces where it's like, okay, how do I navigate this situation now? But it also has informed why I have my hair long today. So, first of all, does it tell you not what you need to know that his autobiography is a comic book? Can we at least point out that this is the level of thinking, right? That this is your biography, your, the autobiography written by somebody else about you in a comic book form about your childhood years. And I love the pictures, Jake, right? There's Colin Kaepernick as a young boy sitting on a TV with his watching TV on a nice couch with his remote control and he can't concentrate because of this hair issue. And then he's eating a nice scrambled egg breakfast and everybody's around him and oh my gosh, this is horribly abusive. I mean, what <laughs> levels do you have to go before you reason, you just want to stand up and say, shut down, Sh shut up and sit down, you privileged, spoiled, completely coddled child. Because there's no other way to see this. And the, the interviewer, your mother said that your haircut was unprofessional. Your mother? I, I can tell you, my white mom said lots worse things to me. And I'll bet your mom said a lot worse to you, Jake. And your yeah. mom was white, too. Is this reasoning? <laughs> when do we get our cartoon? Uh, my mom told me I had to go to bed without standing up to watch Saturday Night Live. Can you imagine that happened to me, Jake? Your own mother did that to you. Dude, dude, this is the dumbing down of America. This is the, you know, the com the comicalizing of the unite of culture in America to the point where stop and think of it. Colin had to rewrite the narrative. He had to create a narrative that would fit his new identity politics narrative. He had to go back into his past and say, "Oh, I love my parents, but you know, they were a part of the racist perpetuated problem that's going on in America." Don't you see? And so, unfortunately, people will buy this insanity, this comic book insanity, as Colin Kaepernick is laughing all the way to the bank, making millions and millions and millions in a free enterprise system that he despises because he loves Marxism and in a country that has given him incredible economic and social mobility that he would never find in any other country. Mike, show that picture, the last picture from the cartoon book. There you go. Look at that one. Yeah. So this is what yeah. mean becoming black meant to Colin Kaepernick. Growing my hair out 
and putting a, a do-rag basically on my head. That's my, it, this, is his, this is his Superman, Superman moment in that pristine white bathroom with all the cleaning, cleaning products and all the, uh, the hygiene. There he is, right? He puts his hands on his shoulders and he courageously dons the do-rag and suddenly he's black. This seriously, I think, is, is the problem. It's the shallow thinking that being black, I gotta say it, for him, being black is an act. It's an act. It's a, uh, what's the word? It's a fetish. It's a, it's, it's, how is this blackness of his that he's superficially wearing? How is it different than the, the, the woman face that D Dylan Mulvaney we just talked about? How is this different? How, isn't this, isn't yep. this, a, isn't this a kind of reverse blackface that he's going through, right? He's, he's putting on literally blackface to cover the fact that his whole white upbringing was white. And he, he can't reconcile any of this, and so he's got to write a, a comic book about his childhood days. Well, somebody else wrote it for him. Yep, perfectly stated, perfectly stated. It's a facade to, in essence, reinforce the destructive identity politics that's poisoning America. And you are exactly right. This is where we close. In the, the countries he, he, he fetishizes, Cuba, for instance, if he were young and black in that culture, Che Guevara himself would have rounded him up and put him in jail. Uh, well, yeah, the guy he looks up to, fantastic. And if that, that, Jake Jacobs is going to wrap up this show. If you have questions, comments, or want to support the show, simply visit drdukeshow.com. For all of us at The Dr. Duke Show, thank you, and we will see you next time.